Good evening to everyone, and thank you, Trevor, and uh, the AV team, and the singers, and everyone who's been a part of Svetlana, wherever you are, thank you also for this time. Uh, I realize I've, I've not been formally introduced, so let me um, do the, uh, give you the Reader's Digest version of it. I'm David Packer. I have known Preston Pierce since the 1980s. He and I became friends about mid-80s, and um, he... Uh, in fact, Brandon, uh, Bra where did I just meet? Um, you look exactly, one of what Preston looked like when he was a young man, that's exactly what he looked like. A good looking guy. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, I thought for a second that somehow Preston had escaped all the ravages of age when I ran to Brandon. But uh, they asked if, we, if I could be a, help you here. My wife and I, that's my lovely wife, Lana, with the beautiful pink mask. Please don't hold it against her that it clashes with her red uh, necklace. But uh, we are uh, honored to be here with you. We have spent, since 1992, I have been pastoring international churches. We're part of the Baptist. We are Baptist, but we were uh, pastor at International Baptist Church of Singapore for 12 years. And then we were pastoring, uh, last we finished up pastoring International Baptist Church in, um, in Stuttgart, Germany. The last 12 years. So I'm very familiar uh, to the expatriate community. We are professional expatriates. Before we started pastoring international churches, we were missionaries in the Philippines. So we have um, gone through three different language programs. I've passed the fluency level at all three, uh, and I can't speak any of them today. Or I could speak maybe a little bit. The problem is now I speak all of them at the same time, which doesn't work out very well. Yeah, but, uh, but we are... Uh, we are here to, to help you in this in-between time uh, of you looking for a pastor. So I've been coming a few more times, I understand. But I understand you're, you're doing also very, the pastor search team is doing a very good job in getting someone for you. So, so hopefully before long that will, that will happen. But we're here to help you. And if we can be of service to you, if you need someone to talk to or pray with, uh, please don't hesitate to contact us. Uh, we are living in Stuttgart, Germany. Uh, just a brief word about my wife. My wife and I founded a ministry for human trafficking, anti-human trafficking, obviously, for sexually exploited, and she's the director of that ministry. And so I retired uh, last year, but she has continued to, uh, uh, to serve in this position, and um, so uh, that's what she does. That's what's kept us here uh, past my retirement, at least kept us in Germany. So, God willing, in the next few months, though, we'll be returning to the USA. We have a director of our work and ministry in Germany now. So that's more than you needed to know about me. I hope I didn't destroy the Christmas spirit uh, that was created by the wonderful music. Let me ask you, if you have a Bible, just open it to Luke. I just want to mention a few things in the Gospel of Luke. And I have been told that, um, they said, we don't care how long you preach, but at uh, 5 o'clock, everybody will be leaving. Uh, so... Uh, We'd also like to get back to our hotel tonight, so we would leave with you. So don't worry. I've uh, experienced pastor, and I will, I will uh, end on time. Now, the second chapter, it was read earlier. Maybe just draw our attention to it. It's the message that the angels gave to the, to the shepherds. Um, it says this, uh, verse Verse 10, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
Now those words, uh, we are familiar to hearing at Christmas time in English, and they seem just to bounce off our, our eardrums with nothing significant to them. Uh, but as the angel spoke those words, uh, the words Savior, Christ, and Lord, they echoed deeply in the minds of the shepherds, or at least they should have, because each of them has a certain biblical depth to them. Uh, the Savior, that assumes a lot. That assumes that we need saving. Uh, we need someone to deliver us from our sins, from the problems that we have upon this world. And, and then the, the word Christ, that's the translation from the Greek, uh, but that's the equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah. It means the anointed one. It means the one spoken about in the Old Testament, the one who is coming, the one who's prophesied by the prophets who they spoke of, the one that Isaiah and Jeremiah spoke of. This is Christ. This is the Christ, not one of or a, a mini Christ. This is the Christ that was prophesied. And then the word Lord also spoke very, very heavily in their, in their minds. The word Lord uh, was, uh, in, in Hebrew, was Adonai, and they would use that word quite often just to describe uh, the Lord. That's like we use the word Lord, means someone who is the master. Uh, but also it was the word they use for the name of God. The name of God is, uh, we say Yahweh, uh, that's a Y-H-W-H. The Jewish letters did not have vowels, or Jewish writing did not have vowels. So these Y-H-W-H, that was the holy name of God. But the Jews were so fearful of misusing that name that they did not pronounce it. And the exact pronunciation of it has been lost. We're not sure how they pronounce it. Because when they came to that word, they would say, Adonai, Lord. And so Adonai also became a short term for Yahweh. Or the word Jehovah came from taking the vows of Adonai and putting them over the consonants of Yahweh. And then you have Yahovah or Jehovah. But, uh, but the, when we say this, these songs, Jehovah, Jireh, that doesn't, that's not Hebrew, by the way. There's nowhere close to Hebrew. A Hebrew would say Adonai Yireh. Uh, and it's the, the idea of the Lord, though, the, the, the one who revealed himself to Moses and gave him that name. Uh, he shall be born in Bethlehem. So there's a spiritual depth to that that we have not fully exhausted to this day. Now, there are three caves associated with Christ. Uh, one of them is mentioned. Uh, two others are not mentioned in Scripture, but surely they were there. At least traditionally, we have a good case for them. I want to speak tonight about these caves. The first one was the one he was born in. Uh, we have the little activity scenes where we have a nice little barn, and, and there is Jesus in the, in, the, in the feed box there in the middle, and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. And not even put the wise men in, even though the wise men came uh, a little bit, little bit later, and not, not the same time as the shepherds. But it, it doesn't offend us. It just, it, it's just uh, important to know that's not how it really happened. Uh, but the night he was born, uh, he was probably not in a, a barn. That, that word manger, laid in a manger. Manger could describe a barn or a place they kept animals, but the word most often really was used to describe uh, the feed box. That's why we put in the manger scenes, put baby Jesus in the feed box. He was laid in the feed box. Uh, now, tradition in Bethlehem, I've been to Bethlehem many times. It's a big cosmopolitan city today. And, and uh, last time I went, I ate Chinese food. 
so it is a different Bethlehem than in the day of Jesus. And, uh, but Bethlehem was a small place, but tradition still uh, is, is well held that the shepherd's field is not necessarily in question. It's just on the outside of the town, and, and you can see where the shepherds likely were, and that must have been a, a good site for them. Uh, but the exact place that Jesus was born is not perfectly clear. We have the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. I've been to that place many times. And they say this was the place. You can go down in the bottom of it and you can see this little place. And they say this is where Jesus was born. And it's very special to visit there. But probably uh, what they think that represents is on the side of the cliffs, there were some caves in the backside. They would build the buildings up here and you could walk around and that's where they would have some insects and some caves and that's where they would keep the animals and that's probably where Jesus was born. So his first home would have been a cave. I find that very interesting. You know, cave is simply a hollowed out place in the ground and and a cave does not have thoughts or emotions or reason. A cave cannot think. But if a cave could, what would that cave have thought that evening when it realized that the creator of heavens and earth was dwelling inside that cave? And, and there's a picture of the human life in that cave, I believe, also. Because we have a hollow place in our hearts and our lives that only Christ can fill. And when we trust in Christ, he is born in our hearts and our lives. But there's a picture of what happens to all of us in that cave, that Christ is born in us, and we are different. If that cave could have had a pride or a, an ambition or just thought about it for a second, it would have been amazed that here the king of the universe, the creator of all, is in me. And that's about as good as life can ever get for us. Well, Jesus was born there, and that's where he began his life. That's where the prophecy was fulfilled. That's where the, the Savior and, and the Christ and the Lord uh, came into this life as a human being. And, and there's a great mystery in that. But Jesus did not stay a child. He grew. He grew. In fact, if we jump 30 years in the future, we see another cave. And that is the cave in the wilderness. When Jesus began his public ministry, the first thing he did was be baptized by John the Baptist in, in the River Jordan. And then... He went out for 40 days of fasting and prayer to be tempted by the devil. In our Bibles, you turn over just a few pages to chapter 4, and it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. So, he's in the wilderness alone. He didn't take a backpack or a tent that we know of. So where would he spend the night? Well, logic would suggest that probably, like people have been doing in those areas for, for centuries, it would have been in one of the many caves that dot the hillside. Not necessarily a deep one that you could explore, but one that you could get out of the, out of the elements, at least, for, uh, for a night. And there in that cave, we see another, another type of experience of Christ. The cave in Bethlehem answers the question, will God fulfill his promises? Will God fulfill his promises? Will God forget that he was going to send a redeemer? And the answer is no, God will not forget. God will fulfill his promises. And there is something that encourages us as well, because we can take his promises and be assured also that he will fulfill his promises to us. But the cave in the wilderness, or the caves that he would stay in at night in the wilderness, answer another question, that experience answers the question, can God come to this earth 
and really become a human being and deal with sinful humanity and not become sullied in the process. Is God that good? Well, Satan was trying all he could to make sure God was not that good. But the Savior came, and there he was, the light of the world in human form, the Savior, the Redeemer. Christ the Lord is there. But would he give into temptation? Well, he did not. He did not. He answered every temptation with the Word of God, led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. And by the way, he did not merely throw the Word of God at, at the devil. That's not how you use the Word of God in temptation. You must be in your heart and your life. And he took that deep within his heart, and he knew the truth. And when Satan came to, to tempt him to do something else, he said, no, this is the plan of God. He stayed true to the plan of God, true to the Spirit of God, true uh, to the written Word. And that was how we endure temptation ourselves. By the way, there's also some encouragement for us there as well, that we will also face our temptations. I don't know how many people I've talked to and counsel as a pastor that sometimes they've just given up on some temptations. Uh, they've decided this is as good as I can ever be. This is as good as I can get and I can't get better than this. Well, let me assure you, you can. You can get better than that. If you've trusted in Christ, God's not finished with you yet. God will fulfill his promises to you and you will continue by His grace, continue to find His strength. And when you're facing temptations, even those that have defeated you repeatedly, don't give up. God hasn't given up. And God knows more about the fight than you do. Trust in Him. Trust in Him. Whatever that temptation is that you keep falling into, trust in Him. And realize that when we look at Christmas, we see that Christ has come to fulfill the promises of God. And not merely to be a little cute baby. We think, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that cute? But be the Messiah and to be the Savior, to be the Redeemer. And redeeming means not merely to pay for our sins, but to bring us up out of the sin. Not only was Christ unsullied in the process, but he is also the one who brings us and brings us into holiness. That's his plan for us. That's his plan for you. And he's not forgotten that plan. And he will be faithful to that promise as well. Well, we go forward three more years and we find another cave. And this one uh, we do know is in the scripture because it's mentioned. And you can go to Luke's gospel, get to the end of it about the crucifixion. Christ is crucified. Christ is put to death. And after he is put to death, it says in the 23rd chapter of Luke, verse 50, now there was a man named Joseph from a town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision. That is the council, the ones who condemned Christ to death. He had not consented to their decision and action. He was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone. And the tomb was in another way a cave another cave, cut in stone, not made by God's hands, but made by human hands, and that was where they laid the body of Jesus. And they would have thought it was all over. It was all over. The babe that was celebrated in Bethlehem, the Christ who endured the temptation in the wilderness, that Christ is now crucified, and it's all over. His followers, although he told them he was going to be put to death and rise from the dead, his followers did not appear to have enough faith to believe it. They must have thought, well, it's some symbolism he has used again. 
and they had also given up. But he, God was not through with him yet. God was not finished. We jump forward three days, going forward in, th in threes, 30 years from his birth to the cave in the wilderness, three years from the cave in the wilderness to the cave of the tomb, and now three more days, and Christ comes out of the tomb. He comes out victorious. What a picture that is of the greatness and the strength of God. This time of year, we take Jesus and we put him in a corner or we put him in a manger scene or something like that and talk about how cute he is and we decorate something with him and we think about Christmas and we come to church. Um, but we must remember that when we use the word Christ or the name Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ of God, we're talking about he who came out of the tomb. And he is the one who has risen today. Death is a is inevitable. For us, it is omnipotent. We cannot escape it. We can put it off and we do the best we can, but we cannot escape it. The last I checked, it's 100% certainty that you and I will die. Unless Christ returns, that's the only thing that will prevent that. But Christ is the one who not only came out of a tomb, but came out with a glorified body in a new body, and he gives us hope for that today. So for us, Life is about the future. It's not about the past. I see some people my age, many people my age, I'm in my 70s now, simply sort of giving up on life and thinking, well, my life is in the past and now I'm just going to stumble through it. For a Christian, our life is never in the past. Our life is in the future always. And the best is always yet to come. So we can look forward to this. Jeremiah has a statement about the Messiah uh, that it, it serves as a fitting image to put some context on what Christmas and the coming of Christ means. He described Jesus as the branch of righteousness. Now by branch he really meant that shoot that comes out of a stump. Uh, you've probably seen this that you cut a tree down, you, you, you shear it off and it is gone. You think that tree is no more. But then a little piece of green, something starts growing on the side, and it's a shoot. And what looked like a tree that was finished, this shoot starts growing. And there it is. And that's the idea when Jeremiah said the branch of righteousness, he was speaking about the Messiah. That when it looked like everything was gone, remember Jeremiah lived in the days of the destruction of Jerusalem, the falling of the kingdom. But he said a branch shall come, and that's what Christ does. And for our lives, we should hold that dear to our hearts, that he is the one who is not finished with anything, and he continues his life and his work within us. How many times you have something in your life that you feel like it is finished? Many of us have raised children and raised them in church and led them to faith in Christ, and then to become young adults, and sometimes they disappoint us, don't they? And we wonder, was that all for nothing? You feel like that someone looked at, a, at this young tree that was your son or your daughter and they just cut it down. But if they really did have that moment of grace, life will come. They cannot deny that because when they entered into that contract with Christ, something eternal happened. And you wait, keep praying, and you'll see some shoot happen. Or maybe something in your life you feel like you will never get over it. It'll never go forward. Your life has now been cut down but that shoot will grow again. The branch of righteousness is not finished with you yet. And he'll grow again. And he can give us eternal hope in every situation. I pray that 
God would bless you this Christmas time and that the hope of Christ would be your hope as well and your reality. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your love. We pray, Lord, your blessings on each person here, each family represented. Lord, family, not only that is not, that is, is, um, is not with us this Christmas time, but family that we still hold dear in our hearts, we pray your blessings on them. We pray for this entire church family. In fact, those who are not here this evening or traveling or maybe they're reunited with their family during these days, we pray your blessings on them as well. That at this time you would give them the eternal hope that's in Christ, that's in you. And Lord, we, we thank you that you always do exceedingly abundantly more than all we could ask or think according to your spirit who is at work in our lives. We pray that you would continue to work in our hearts and our lives. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and pray this in your name for your sake. Amen.